Hi, Doxology. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle. I'm a member here at, uh, at Doxology, um, and I will be doing the scripture reading today. Uh, so if you want to open your Bibles, we are going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have several up front for you. You're welcome to take one of those. That is our gift to you. I can also always uh, open your phone, uh, Bible app on your phone, or go online for those of you at home. Uh, again, it's Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They re their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is God's word. Thank you, Kyle. Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to be back with you. And as Luke said at the start of the service, uh, for those of you who are new, joining us for the first time, uh, whether you are a Christian or not, uh, we're just really glad that you're here with us this evening and hope that you see who Jesus is and how wonderful it is to know him and why you would want to know him. So uh, we are starting a new sermon series in the book of Psalms. So the Psalms in large part show us how to pray. They help us learn how to be near God. And I know for a lot of us, prayer can be, for some of us, it's just this thing we always feel guilty about. You know, we, sh we know we should do, but we rarely do it. For, other, for others of us, if you really think about it, like prayer is strange. You're talking to this omnipotent, omnipresent God, but you can't see him. Like when you really think about it, it can feel weird. And I know for others of you, it's something you want to do, but maybe it just doesn't feel that exciting. For those of you, you just don't know how to do it. And so I'm hopeful as we uh, head into this series that um, this will be a really special, special time for us. And so we're starting in Matthew. And I know some of you are concerned right now because last year we went through the life of David. It took us like 10 weeks to actually get to David. <laughs> and so you're thinking, what are we going to do, you know, three months before we actually see the Psalms? No, no. Okay, it's just one sermon in Matthew, and here's why we're doing it. So Jesus is asked in this passage how to pray. You know, how can I do real spirituality is another way to put it. And the reason why we're looking at this passage is because at the time of Jesus, uh, the Psalter was the Jewish common prayer book. And so everywhere it was used, the Psalms were used in private worship, in corporate worship during the time of Jesus. And so what this means is Jesus used the Psalms all the time. Like the Psalms provided the groundwork for the prayer life of Jesus, which is crazy to think about. And the Psalms is the book that Jesus quoted more than any other book uh, in the gospel accounts. And so as we see Jesus teach us how to pray here, there's going to be strong uh, inferences to, to using the Psalms, and so this is going to give us a good frame for next week when we actually jump into the Psalms, if that makes sense. So um, here's my burden for us as we walk into this series over the next few months. So uh, we just finished First Peter, and First Peter mainly deals with horizontal relationships, right? So when Jesus brings you into his kingdom, this has strong ramifications for your social relationships, how you deal with people in this room, in the church, how you engage with people in your workplace and in government who don't know Jesus. What the Psalms is going to help us with, it's going to round out that approach by not so much focusing on the horizontal relationships, but focusing on the vertical relationships between us and God. It's going to give us the language of the kingdom, so to speak. If Peter gave us the actions of the kingdom, 
uh, Psalms will give us the language of the king. How do we speak to our king? And what this is of deep consequence because for me, like my concern for myself, um, especially you know being a pastor where I'm constantly talking about God all the time, and my concern about for you all is because we live in such a fast-paced society and in such a um, like a, we have so many materials readily available to us. What happens is we can fall into a vicarious Christianity or a Christianity by proxy, meaning so like you can tell me a lot about what a great book tells you about God, or you can tell me about what your favorite Bible teacher tells you about God, or you can, you can tell me a lot about what a great podcast or commentary tells me about God, but often you find that you can't really tell me about what you yourself have experienced with God. And so you find yourself, and I can find myself in this situation where we know a, a lot about God without actually knowing God. You see, that's, that's a massive difference. And so as we walk through the Psalms, we'll see how to invite God into the real stuff, like the real ups and downs of our lives. Um, okay, so as we jump into this section in Matthew, Jesus is going to give us a number of principles on how to pray, and then that's going to set us up well as we start in Psalm 1 next week. And he'll give us four things on how to pray. I'm not going to go over everything uh, in this passage for those of you who love diving into every nitty-gritty detail we fly over. But four things, uh, I won't give them all to you in advance. I will just go through them. I know some of you are freaking out. Uh, but we'll just go through them one at a time. Okay, so how to pray, or put another way, how to draw near to God. Okay, so number one, Jesus tells us thoughtfully. You need to draw near to God thoughtfully. And here we see this in verse 7, where he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So that word used for empty phrases, it literally means to speak without thinking. Don't speak without thinking when you pray. Like, how many times does something good happen when you just speak without thinking? Right? Very rarely. And so when, when Jesus says pray thoughtfully, like, one of the things he's getting at here is, Pray to the God who's, like, think about the God who's actually there and pray to him. So how many of you have ever had somebody make, a, like, make a comment to you or make a comment about you? And it, was, it was a thoughtless comment. They weren't thinking. They made it. And it wasn't even accurate, right? That's, that's hurtful, right? Because they're just, they're assuming things about you even though they don't really know who you are. And Jesus is saying, don't just assume things about who God is, but thoughtfully approach him according to how, how he reveals himself. And it's in the Psalms that gives us a, a full orb picture of the real God, the God who's actually there. And as I was thinking about this, um, I was thinking about there, a book that came out uh, last year, last June, June of 2020, and it's written by Tara Burton, and it's called Strange Rites, New Religions in a Godless World, or New Religions for a Godless World. She's a travel writer, she's a religious correspondent for a number of of top magazines, and she's talking about the religious trends in America. And she's talking, you know, we, we've seen like a, a pretty steady decline in religious affiliation, especially over the last 20 years. Even just a few weeks ago, a lot of you guys probably saw an article in the Post that came out that for the first time in known history in America, when people were polled, less than 50% of Americans said they like affiliate with a particular religion. And what Tara says in her book, it's, it's interesting, she says, you know, when you look at religious trends in America, it's actually not that people, especially younger generations, it's actually not that they're becoming less religious. It's that their religious forms have taken a new shape. 
So now, especially, you know, millennials and Gen Z, now, yeah, they're, they're going to say, yeah, okay, I don't belong to this religion, or I don't go to this church or this institution. However, they're still very religious. And so what she says is that, like, the main religion that younger generations take up is a kind of hodgepodge where people just mix and match from different spiritual traditions based on what feels right. And she said, she described it as this way. She says, they, quote, envision themselves as creators of their own bespoke religions, mixing and matching spiritual traditions to curate their own experience. And so that, that's what a lot of people mean, you know, when they say I'm spiritual but not religious. So it's like, I, I'm not an atheist per se. I believe there's something greater, something I want to attach myself to to give, to give my life more meaning. But, you know, for those of you who are here and maybe you're not a Christian, I don't know if this describes you or not. Maybe you don't believe in any kind of higher power. Um, but for all of us, we know plenty of individuals who sit in the spiritual but not religious category. And just something for you to consider, and for Christians too, because this impacts us, you'll notice that when you mix and match and pull things, you know, from different spiritualities to form the type of God or, or higher force that you want, like, isn't it funny that that God happens to like the same things that you like? And that God happens to dislike the same things that you dislike? So, so what's going on? Really, what this God ends up becoming is just a projection of yourself. It's a larger version of you. And so, I mean, one, not only is that, you know, you're doing to God now what you hate when other people do to, do, do to you, where they don't accept you on your own terms, but also a God is just a bigger version of you. He, he, can't actually, he can't actually help you because he's just a larger version of you. He, can't, he has no place to challenge you. Um, he can't solve the deepest needs of your heart. And so when Jesus says, be thoughtful when you go before, before God, go to the God who's actually there, the real God. This means this God's often going to challenge you, but he's also, he's also going to surprise you, and you find out who this God is when you read the Psalms. And for believers, something that being thoughtful helps us with is the, the kind of ho-hum, vague prayers we often find our, ourselves saying. So, Something like this. You know, we go before God in the morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your goodness. Bless my loved ones today and help us to walk in your will. Amen. That's not a bad prayer. I've, played, I've prayed plenty of, plenty of prayers like that. I'm sure I'm going to in the future. But notice how vague it is. So what specific aspects of God's goodness are you thankful for? Like, in what specific ways do you want God to bless your loved ones? So you notice you could pray that prayer, but you can pray it in a way that if God were to actually answer your prayer exactly as you prayed it, you wouldn't know what he would do <laughs> because it's so vague. And so praying thoughtfully in the Psalms are going to help give us language. So you can pray things like, what specific aspects of God's goodness are you grateful for? What specific situations do you want God to meet your loved ones in? What like, what, what meetings that you're about to go into, what decisions that you're about to make, what people that you find yourself having a really hard time loving, do you want God to help you walk within his will in? And what praying thoughtfully also helps, with us, helps us with is the, and I don't mean this to make fun because I do it too, okay, so I'm sitting with you guys, but it helps us avoid the, the Christian platitudes when we pray, especially if, if you've been raised in the church. So take, for example, the, like, Father, just I pray for my friend, and I pray that you will put a hedge of protection around him or her. Now, okay, like, before you send me text messages, I know that phrase, hedge of protection, it's in Job, it's in Isaiah, I get it, it's in the Bible. <laughs> but, like, 
as, as one teacher put it, kind of in a tongue-in-cheek way, if Satan is after somebody, is he really going to be deterred by landscaping and shrubbery? You know when you say, like, put a hedge of protection around this person? No. And so praying thoughtfully means you can actually, like, what are these specific ways that you want God to protect your loved one in? Because so Jesus is saying just pray thoughtfully. Okay, so that's number one, pray thoughtfully. But number two, pray emotionally. Uh-oh, now some of you guys are getting nervous. Pray emotionally. So when Jesus says pray thoughtfully, he is contrasting that with thoughtless prayers, not emotional prayers. Okay, Jesus was very emotional in a lot of his interactions and in his prayers. And when you read the Psalms, they're intensely emotional. And so as we use the Psalms to model, model our prayer life, here's how it's going to help us, because we tend to fall into two errors with emotions. And the more I learn about myself and the more I learn about you guys, I realize just how amateur we are when, with handling our emotions. And so some of us go the direction of our modern secular culture, which tends to enshrine emotions, right? sometimes even deifying emotions. So what you feel is the most inner part of your authentic person. That's who you are. And so you need to express those feelings, whatever it is, you know, anger, bitterness, any, any other types of feelings. And if anyone tries to, to stop you, that they're keeping you from being your authentic self. So that, that's one direction we go is we just let our emotions dictate us, drag us around everywhere. The other direction we go, and this is often more common in religious circles, conservative circles, even a lot of intellectual circles, is we suppress emotions. And some of you, I know, some of you would rather be caught dead or thrown into a snake pit than be told something like, you know, you're a pretty emotional person. Because you equate being emotional with being stupid. But the Psalms help us get in touch with our emotions. Um, one guy named Dallas Willard, he said something to the effect of, many of us are like ships passing in the night, not just to other people, but even to ourselves. Meaning, we're unaware of what's driving us, like at the innermost part of our being. And if you're in any kind of deep relationship with anybody, a, you know, a worker, a spouse, a child, if you're a leader of anyone, you better know what's driving you. And for those of us who are worried about emotions or don't know how to handle them, we, there are emotions going on under the surface, you know, anger, bitterness, envy, insecurity, whatever. And if we don't deal with them and get in tune with who we are, that puts us in a very dangerous place. And so what the Psalms give us is such a better way, not just unthinkingly expressing our emotions, but also not suppressing our emotions. And so on the one hand, for those of us who tend to suppress our emotions and keep them in a drawer, one thing the Psalms do is they give us words to what we're feeling. Like, do any of you ever, you're, you're going through something, something hard, and then all of a sudden a friend, a counselor, or you read something in a book that just, they, they use words to put their finger right on what you're experiencing. And all of a sudden now you understand yourself and your situation so much better because they were able to articulate it like in such a precise way. And that's what the Psalms help us do. But more than that, they don't just, they don't just help us express our emotions. They give us permission to do it. And this is so important because for a lot of us, we feel, I mean, yes, we should go before God with reverence, but God wants you to come to him with things that you feel like are offensive to come, come toward him with. So he wants you to come before him and cry out to him if you're angry, if you're feeling worthless, if you're feeling insecure, if you're feeling forsaken, if you're depressed. That doesn't mean you're in an unholy place. God wants to invite you in 
to express these things to him. I mean, when you read some of the Psalms, <laughs> I think we often sanitize our prayers. Like, look at um, like Psalm 88, verse 4 and 5, for example. He says, I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. And then he ends with, my closest friends have become darkness. If you're in a community group and you hear somebody pray like that, like, you're going <laughs> to open your eyes and look at everybody else in the prayer circle and be like, do I need to take them to therapy on the way home? No, but these are the kinds of prayers that God invites us to come in and pray. But it's not just for emotionalism's sake, right? It's also what the Psalms do is they help us express them, but not just for emotionalism's sake. They help us funnel our emotions appropriately so we, we know what to do when these emotions come. Because for a lot of us, we're, we're reactionary when emotions, emotions come. So, okay, so I get angry, or I get, I'm tired. And so I'm going to be short with you, or I'm going to belittle you, or I'm going to be impatient with you. Because I'm just reacting in the, in the moment to my emotional state. What the Psalms do is they don't just tell you it's okay to express an emotion, but what to do when these emotions come. So it's not just, it really is okay to feel forsaken or to feel depressed. But the Psalms also help show you what to do when you feel forsaken or depressed. It's okay to feel insecure or to feel worthless. But the Psalms show you what to do when those emotions come. So helpful. Okay, so Jesus says pray thoughtfully, but also pray emotionally. And then number three, he says pray frequently. Pray, fr- pray frequently. So notice the language here. Verse five, when you pray. Verse six, when you pray. Verse seven, when you pray. Okay, so he's speaking about praying as if it's like breathing or eating. It's something that you're doing all the time. And more than that, more convicting than that, he says in verse 5, you must not be like the hypocrites, for the hypocrites pray in the synagogues, i.e. church, and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. But you, on the other hand, pray in secret. And Jesus isn't dissing public prayer here. So prayer in your community group and church is vital. But what Jesus is getting at is the very real temptation to only really pray when you're at the dinner table with Christian friends, when you're at community group, and then when you're at church. But what he's saying here is it's actually the hypocrites who only pray when they're in public places, when they're around other people. And it's the authentic believers who actually have a vital or have a vibrant, rich prayer life in secret when no one else is watching. And so one way to put it is Jesus is asking is, if you mainly pray when you're around other people, but you pray few and far between when you're alone, are you a Christian? Because this is how relationships work. So wouldn't it be odd if I run into you after the service and you say, oh, hey, Steve, you know, how's it going? I go, oh, it's good. You know, I'm good. Titus is good. Life is good. And you go, how's Kelsey doing? I go, I don't know. We haven't talked all week. You go, oh, okay. So was she out of town? I go, no, she was here. We just don't talk. It's just not one of those things that we do together. You would rightly look at me and say something like, okay, you don't need to do everything together, but my thought is there's, there's something wrong here. Like, is your marriage okay? Right, because that's how relationships work. And so Jesus is saying, when, when you're not in regular communion with 
the one who's at the heart of the most important relationship in your life. Like, what does that, what does that say? It's, you know, our private prayer lives are such a sharp diagnostic of our relationship with God. And you know, so, so consider if maybe one of the reasons why God may feel often more dim or less exciting than the many hollow things of this world is because, just like with a human being, when you're not regularly in communion with that person, that relationship becomes more hollow itself. And I don't say this, and Jesus isn't saying this, to guilt you guys. I mean, I'm sitting here with you in it as I was reading this passage. This was like, oh, Lord, help me. And, but what Jesus is doing is he's not saying it to make you feel guilty. He's, he's doing it to invite you into the most delightful practice you can possibly do. Which leads us into number four. Okay, how do you pray? Thoughtfully, emotionally, frequently. Because that's how you build intimacy. It's relationship. Number, but number four, how do you pray? You pray in the gospel. You pray in the gospel. So what Jesus is doing here is he's emphasizing, and the gospel is the good news about what Christ has done to bring us in relationship with God. And so what Jesus is saying here is you need to understand the connection between prayer and knowing Jesus and why that's so vital. Because I think sometimes we become, we we hear this section so much that we're not awed by, what, what Jesus is saying is not only is there a transcendent, unequal in power and splendor creator who exists, but this creator actually hears you, cares what you say, and responds accordingly to your prayers. That's insane. That's insane. And I think why we're desensitized to this is because the, like, prayer is kind of omnipresent everywhere. So if you look at most religions of the world, pretty much most of, if not every major religion, has prayer, and all the more minor religions, has prayer at the heart of its practices. And even a lot of secular people who don't identify with the religion, um, surveys continually show over and over and over, people who say, I'm not a religious person, they still have a semi-regular prayer life and believe that prayer does things. And I think because of how just everyone tends to pray, even if it's just once a month, what happens is we assume that God hears our prayers and attends to us just because that's just kind of the thing God would do. Like he's obligated to do it because he's God. But you, you think about it, I mean, imagine a, like a, a CEO of a, of a large organization or the president of a nation or state. If you, just, if you don't have a relationship with that CEO or, or with that president and you just run in to have a meeting, if it's in a, if it's in a business type setting, I mean, there's going to be so many red hoops you have to jump through just to get a 20-minute meeting with the person. Right? But if it's a president, you might get shot if you just run up to the person. But what happens if you're the child of that CEO or the child of that pr- You can just walk right in the office with a coloring book, hop up on their lap. People may even kind of chuckle. It's cute. And you're received. Why? Because you're in intimate relationship with that, with that leader. And if it's true with CEOs and presidents, how much more so the transcendent creator of the universe? And so what Jesus is saying, when he says, you know, notice he says the word father uh, three times. Verse 6, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 8, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, our father in heaven. What he's saying here is something very difficult and wondrous. The difficult truth that he's giving is, while God, God on the one hand hears all prayers, because he's all-knowing, so he's aware of every single utterance that takes place on the earth. God hears all prayers, however, God only listens 
to the prayers of those who are his children. So he hears all prayers, but he only really listens and attends to the prayers of those who are his children. So, so it's a little bit like this. When I was around, I was around five years old or so, and I don't know if any of you did this. This was kind of, and no, no offense, even though I'm kind of making this offense. No offense if you do this now with your kids. But when I was around five years old, uh, my dad took me trick-or-treating to a mall. Okay, so apparently malls do this. And he took me to, Spring- <laughs> he took me to Springfield Mall. And if any of you grew up in this area, you know that Springfield Mall has been renovated. And it's a lot different than how it used to be. So Springfield Mall used to look like, like the set of a zombie apocalypse film. Or like the school in Stranger Things, you know, after the monster had its way with everybody. Like gangs could just hang out in Springfield Mall with impunity and just do whatever they wanted. And so he takes me to Springfield Mall. I guess it was the only mall in the area that was doing trick-or-treating. And so we're walking around the mall. You know, it's dim and, you know, just kids are everywhere. And their parents are there and everyone's dressed up in scary outfits. And so, and I guess outside each store they have just these buckets of candy that you're supposed to trust are safe. So you're just grabbing candy, putting in your in your basket, and so I'm walking along, and I'm in my own world, as I often tend to do, and all of a sudden, I look around, I look next to me to tell my dad something, and my dad's not there, and what must have happened is, you know, when I stopped at a store to get candy, my dad kept walking and didn't realize that he lost me, and so I'm, you know, I'm looking around, and my dad's nowhere to be found, and so I, I start to panic, and I'm like, oh my gosh, and my dad's nowhere to be found, but ghouls and ghosts are everywhere to be found. And so I do what any brave young man does at the age of five. I start to cry. I cry I'm, I'm terrified. And I'm, I'm, I'm crying, and I'm crying, but the mall is so loud. There's kids everywhere, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, there's no way my dad's going to find me. I guess this is how it ends. It's been a good run. And I'm, you know, my, my heart's up in my chest, and just like, my life is over. I'm legitimately terrified for my life. And... After a little while, my dad comes careening around a corner, and he sees me, and he runs to me, and he scoops me up in his arms, and he says, I've got you, son. It'll be okay. What was going on there? Every kid in that mall was making noise, right? So my dad heard the cry of every child, but he listened to the voice of his own. And friends, parents, you know, you know this. How is it when you go to a mall, when you go to a playground? I just experienced this two days ago. I took Titus to a playground for a father-son hangout. There's a bunch of other kids there. How is it that you can hear the noise of all the kids on the playground, but you listen to the voice of your own, and you run to them immediately when they're in distress? And so when Jesus says you get to call God your father, What he's saying is that in the same way, God hears the cries of everyone on the earth, but he actually attends to you and runs to you to protect you and strengthen you because you're precious to him. And so you have to ask, what makes the difference? How do you know that you're not a child just crying out into the void with no one hearing you versus the child of the maker and king of the universe who runs to you when you cry out? And the answer is the gospel. The answer is the gospel. The answer is, look at who's teaching this prayer. That's the difference. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 says, we can have confidence to enter into the holy places where God's presence is 
because of the blood of Jesus. And, you know, I was thinking about this, and I wonder if when Jesus was teaching this to his disciples, telling them, you can approach God and call him Father, and know that you can cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I wouldn't be surprised if, as Jesus was teaching this, he was thinking about how much it was going to cost to give you that gift. You know, there's one place in the entire gospel accounts where Jesus doesn't call God Father. Everywhere in his life, he's always Father, 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 Father. He's always calling God his Father until one place. It was on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah 53 says, Jesus was cut off from the land of the living, for you're in my transgressions. So on the cross, Jesus was experiencing the utter terror of crying out in fear and having no father, no one to answer his cry. So that you and I, when we trust in Jesus, can always go to God and cry out in any state that we're in, knowing that we'll be attended to with, with the more than any child or mother attends to their child. And I think when you, when you even begin to taste like just a drop of what Jesus gave up to give you the ability to pray and be heard, when that really sinks in, this, this happened to me this week, you can barely even get out the words Father in heaven without either crying tears of joy and gratitude or just being, becoming breathless in, in wonder because of the cost. And so for those of you who may be here exploring the faith, um, I just want to encourage you to hear what Jesus is saying here, to hear the difficult news that on the one hand, if you're not trusting in Jesus, then that relationship with the creator, the one who made you, isn't there. But, when you but the good news is Jesus died and rose in your place that when you trust in him, you can also become a child of God. And, and rather than spending eternity apart from God, you can have eternity with God and it begins today and it's a free gift. And for those of you who do follow Jesus, just here's, here's my encouragement that I want all of us to do this week is to just take five minutes more than you normally do each day to either pray or to read the word, right? Because it's praying is speaking, reading the word is listening. You need both in communication. And I know some of us tend to pray a lot, not read so much. Other of us tend to read a lot, not pray so much. And I know others of you are thinking, okay, if I practice this, that means I'm going to be doing five total minutes each day this week. And that's okay. That's okay. The point of this isn't guilt. The point of it is, the point of it is an invitation into delight, into walking the design you were made for. And when you do this, you'll find, it's, you'll find it's going to make you a more thoughtful person. It'll, it'll help you funnel your emotions better, actually understand yourself and understand God and others better. You'll develop deeper intimacy with God, and most of all, you'll actually be grabbing hold of the gift that costs Jesus Christ so much to give. As Peter told us a couple months ago, Christ suffered once the righteous for the unrighteous so that he may bring us to God. Let's go to him now in prayer. <clears throat> Father,
Our Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much that we can call you Father because of Jesus. And um, thank you for this teaching Jesus gives us on how to approach you. And I pray for me and each person in this room, Lord, that you won't be someone we just learn things about, but someone that we begin to experience more of and therefore become more alive. Uh, thank you so much for giving up your son for us, that we can know you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.